How we doing, Rich Church? Good to see you guys. My name is Bobby. I'm a lead pastor here at the Ridge. We're so glad that you are here today as we continue this series called Stories. And uh, we're just looking at a lot of the different parables that Jesus taught in the Gospels. And so today is no different. We're going to take a look at uh, another parable that, that Jesus taught. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is where we'll be today. Uh, scripture will be on the screen behind me. Feel free to follow along on your smartphone. Or if you need a Bible, we have free ones that are available to you at the table that you passed on the way in here called Ridge Central. And we would love for you to grab one of those as just a, a gift. Uh, if you have a stack of Bibles in the back of your car, just put it back before you leave, okay? And we'll give it to somebody else. But uh, if you need one, we want you to have one. So by all means, grab one of those and uh, feel free to use it during the service. Um, my wife and I, we have, we have been married. It'll be this year. It'll be nine years uh, this year. And uh, yeah, excited about that. And uh, so this year will be nine years. In all of our nine years, we've been together for a little over ten. But uh, for all of our nine years of being married... Uh, my wife has never once asked me to construct anything. Like, you can, power tools are not on the Christmas list. You know, it's like Father's Day, there's no power tools. Like, like I, would love, I would love power tools, but my thing is, is I don't construct things, I deconstruct things. That's what I do. Like, even when I'm supposed to be constructing something, I'm actually deconstructing it because it's going to have to be taken apart later. Like, I'm just going to wreck it. That's just, that's just what I do. I'm like, wreck it, Ralph. I'm going to wreck it, you know? And so I've got kids. I use kid references all the time. And so, but like, I, that's, that's, what, that's what I do. I, I'm, I'm better at, at deconstructing things than I am constructing things. And I, I love, one of the things that I love most about Jesus, and especially Jesus in the parables is that Jesus is going to deconstruct before he constructs. He, he's going to, to take a, a common thought of, of the day and he's going to, to use a parable to sort of counter what the, the common thought or the, the myth of, of the day may be. And he's going to deconstruct our thought before he constructs it back into the truth. And so today is, is no different in, in Luke 18. We've been talking about uh, parables, and parables are simply, they're just little stories that tell a big truth that Jesus will use to make a point. And Jesus will use these parables in the Gospels. When we see Jesus tell, tell a story, a parable, he will use these parables to go straight after the hearts of those people who are listening. He's not after uh, behavior modification in people. When he tells a parable, he's not trying to, to really get people to, to change their behavior. He's, he's getting them to, to get down to the root of their hearts. Like As Kevin just said a moment ago, for our hearts to be made clean. And so we're not change, simply changing behavior, but we're actually experiencing heart transformation instead of behavior modification. In today's parable, Jesus, well, we're going to see how Jesus deconstructs a belief that, that many people had, and then he's going to, to reconstruct it with the truth. And he's going to put it back together that way. And so Luke 18, uh, verses 9 through 14, he's going to be answering the question, how can we be made righteous? Now, that's not a question that most of us aren't asking today. Like, none of us are going... How can I be made righteous? Like we're not, we're not really asking that question 
that way. But we are asking that question, and some of you are asking that question. You came into here today asking that question, maybe not out loud, but subconsciously you've been asking that question. But what you're really asking is, is how can God see me rightly? See me in such a way that he calls me his son or his daughter. Sees me in such a way that that he doesn't see my sin, but he sees my holiness. He sees me put together. He sees the grace that he covered me with. The mercy that he gave to me. And this is what righteous means, right? It means to, to be holy, to be blameless, to be seen right before God. And so when you see the word righteous and righteousness in the Bible, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. And so during, when Jesus is tell, telling this parable, he's, he's actually telling this parable to, to some Pharisees, religious leaders and, and scribes who are standing around watching Jesus, listening to Jesus talk. And as they're listening to Jesus talk, Jesus turns his attention straight for them. Like he, he begins to actually, as he's talking to an entire crowd, there's this group of religious leaders, these Pharisees who were very versed in the law. Meaning that, that they, they sort of took like the, the law of the day and took it and exponentially went a lot further than what the law actually required. So that they would be seen righteous in their own eyes. And they were very versed in the, the, the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. Like they knew it front to back. Like they started learning the first five books of, of the Old Testament, the Bible. They started learning this at, at five years old. And many of them would have it memorized. And you're like, I got a few verses down. They got books down, all right? So like, I think they got us beat. So they were... They were seemed to be very spiritual, very religious, and they were the religious leaders of the day. And so as Jesus is talking to an entire crowd, it would almost be like that a few of them were sitting on the front row, and as he's talking to the entire crowd, he just looks right at them and says, this one's for you, this one's for you. And he starts to talk about them because they believed that they were made right before God when they, when they did the right things. That because they did the right things, then that's what made them righteous before God, or that's what made God look at them and say, yes, you got it right. Yes, you are, you are correct. And so in other words, you could do some of the right things, be a pretty good person, and the more of this you did, the better it made you before God. That was sort of their mindset. And so translation is they believed that they could earn their salvation by doing certain things. And we're honest, there are some of you who came here today believing the same thing. That if you do the right things, if you say the right things, if you're moral enough, if you're a pretty good person, you know, you're gonna mess, you know, you're gonna mess up from time to time, but you know, you can make up for it, you know, on occasion. You can do certain things to sort of compensate for those types of things. And so if we're honest, there are some of us who are, who are actually, we think that about ourselves today, that, that salvation is found in how morally good we can be. That, that if we can just be good enough, then God looks at us and says, I'm pleased with you. But to your defense, you've probably not been told any differently. Some of, some of us. And so there needs to be some deconstruction that takes place. We need to sort of deconstruct that thought, and that's exactly what Jesus is going to do here. So let's just unpack this. We're going to go through these few verses. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse number 9. Jesus says this, it says, 
He also told this parable, this story, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so, again, Jesus says, I'm going to go straight for the heart. Like, I'm going, I'm going throat punch right here. And I, I'm ta- like, he's not going to talk about somebody, you know, like sometimes, like, I'll just be honest, sometimes I do this. Like, I'll be talking to everybody and I'm really talking about somebody. You know what I'm saying? And they're in the room, you know, and you're kind of like not looking at them. Now all of you are going to be really nervous today when I'm talking about things. You're like, is he talking about me? I saw him look at him. I know what he was talking about. But like, Jesus doesn't even do that. He's just like, I'm talking about you. And so, like, he looks right at them, and he just, he just says, it's like this. And when you see this, it, Jesus says, it's like this. He's about to, to break bad on them. So this is what he does. Verse 10, he tells this story. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, we talked about those, and the other, a tax collector. Now, let's stop for a second. Let's define, uh, uh, we, we talked about a Pharisee. We know what a Pharisee is. Let's define what a tax collector is. A tax collector during this time was a bad, 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 bad man. Like, you didn't want to be called a tax collector if you weren't a tax collector. And if you were a tax collector and you got called a tax collector, then it was still bad. Like, they just... Tax collectors were bad, bad men. Now, here's why they were so bad. Tax collectors basically would do whatever they could possibly, any, they would use any means necessary to take money from their own people and give it back to the Roman government, who occupied Israel. And so, it, it, and here's what made it even worse is not only would they, they, they use any means necessary to take that money, they would take more than what was actually required by the law, and they would keep some from the, for themselves. But what made it even worse than that was this, they, were, they actually bought the right from Rome to be able to do this. So they paid money themselves to be able to steal money from you. So it would be like your next-door neighbor if, let's say, uh, God forbid that, that some foreign country occupied the United States and your next door neighbor paid money to the occupying country to allow them to be able to take money from you and give it back to them and keep some for themselves. That's a tax collector. That's what a tax collector did. And so they were very hated. They were despised. In fact, Tax collectors, a lot of times when you see it in Scripture, tax collectors are grouped this way. You had, uh, you had prostitutes, sinners, and tax collectors. Like, they, they, they had their own category of badness, right? And so, like, they didn't even get grouped into the others of, of sinners. They were just grouped into their own place. And so this is who, uh, it, it, this parable almost starts off like a bad joke, right? He had a Pharisee and a tax collector. All right, so here he goes. It says, they both went into the temple to pray. Verse 11, the Pharisee. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, the Pharisee is thanking God for keeping him from becoming what he could have become minus the grace of God, right? He's, he's basically saying, God, thank you that I'm not an adulterer. Like, we, we should want to pray that prayer, right? Like, thank you that I'm not an, uh, an extortioner. Thank you that I'm not unjust. Like, th- this Pharisee, he's not really praying anything wrong at this point. He's just thanking God that he is not something else. 
because of the grace of God. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I would argue that we've probably all prayed some version of that. Thanking God that, you know, that we're not like whatever. Like, there have been times where I've thanked God that I am not like my biological father, who I've not seen for many, many, many years, who is a drug addict and uh, a thief and, and so on. I can just, the list goes on and on and on. And so those sins will go to the grave with me. And I thank God that, that I, am, I am not that. Now, pray for him, pray for his salvation, all of those things, absolutely yes. But yes, I, I will thank God that I am not like that. And if we're honest, all of us have prayed some version of that prayer. And here's the Pharisee praying that exact prayer. But it gets off balance when he says, oh, and by the way, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Right? He's like, and thank you that I'm not like this tax collector who's over here praying. I don't know why the tax collector's in here praying. You know, but thank you that I am not like him. And when, we've done that too. You know, thank you, God, that I'm not like my jerk neighbor, my crazy uncle, you know, those kinds of things. Listen, if you have ever been inside a Christian chicken and you have seen that kid lose their mind over some ranch sauce, you know what I'm talking about? And you're just like, thank you, God, that my children are not like his children. <laughs> You've prayed that prayer. I was in Chick-fil-A. The other, I was in Chick-fil-A. We were, my kids were playing in the playground. We're playing in there. There's another mom and a couple of kids. Her, her kids are in there playing. And, and she's got like a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And, and she tells like for like five minutes, she's like, okay, come on. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. You know, it's time to leave. And so like finally the five-year-old comes and puts his shoes on and and they start to walk out. Well, the eight-year-old slides down the slide and just is like, just limp. And she's like, come on, we got to go. And like, he's just not moving. He's just like right there. And she's like, this is ridiculous. I'm leaving. And she gets up and leaves. And I think, well, she's going to go outside, you know, kind of scare the kid and come back. Uh-uh. She gets in the car. Like she walks out, gets in the car, and this kid just kind of lays there. He ain't leaving, you know? And the whole time I'm going, thank you, God, that my kid is not <laughs> this kid. Because, like, this, this cat is not moving. He's not going anywhere. And the mom, she sits out in the car for, like, ten minutes before this kid finally puts his shoes on like a sloth. <laughs> you know, and then he just drags out, you know? And the whole time I'm going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. So listen, nothing inherently wrong with the, with the Pharisee's prayer until he goes, thank you that I'm not like this guy, right? And then he goes on. He says this. He says, the Pharisee is still praying. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And that word tithe simply means that I give 10% of everything that I get. And so the Pharisee, now understand this. Here's the thing about this. The law only required you to fast once a year. That was it. The law only said you only had to fast once a year. And so the Pharisee is going big. He's saying, uh-uh, twice a week. Twice. Now, what does fasting mean? It means that we're going to uh, not eat for a day, or we're not going to eat for a certain period of time uh, to draw attention uh, to our, our prayers with God. And so uh, the Pharisee says, I, I fast 
twice a week. I'm only supposed to do it once a year, but I'm going big, holy, right here, twice a week. And I tithe on everything that I get. And so what he's saying here, now, the law here only required you to tithe on the crop that you, that you would yield, okay? And so what the Pharisee is saying, he is saying that he goes down, he gets his crop, he tithes his 10% on his crop, he goes down to the farmer's market down here at Oak Ridge High School on Wednesday morning, right? And he sells his crop, and then he tithes on what he sells his crop for. So he's tithing on everything he gets. Now, again, is there anything wrong with the fact that this guy's going big? Like he's not saying, you know what, I go to two Sunday school classes. I pray before I eat goldfish. So, what's up? He's not going small. He's going, he's going big. He says, twice a week I, t- I, I fast and I tithe on everything that I get. And so this guy, he's really serious about his holiness, isn't he? There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with the Pharisee is, is who that he's trying to impress with what he's doing. Because he's saying, he's, he's praying to God saying, God, I fast twice a week. God, I tithe on everything. And so he's trying to impress with God. And so the problem is, is that he's self-righteous. He thinks that he's better than everyone else because of how he's doing his own morality. He's saying, I'm better because of this. And if, if we really think about it, maybe there have been times when we've prayed that prayer too. God, I, I, I'm, better than, I'm better than them because I've not been divorced. I'm better than them because I sponsor two compassion kids. I'm better than them because I, I, I don't listen to 107.7. I listen to 89.1. Right. I, and so and so the, this self-righteousness, this belief that but everything that I'm doing makes me better than others. I am more holy than others because of the things that I do. Of course, I'm good. Look at what everything that I've done for the Lord. Now, again, nothing wrong with going all out. Nothing wrong with these things inherently, but believing that, that those things are the things that God looks at upon us and says, I am well pleased with you. Continue doing these things and you will get into heaven. Is wrong. We are not justified because of our righteousness. Rather, we are made righteous because we have been justified. It's the, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. You ever, you ever thought about this equation? I obey, therefore I'm accepted, versus I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Which is it? Which is it? Do you obey, and because you obey, you feel accepted by God? Or are you accepted by God first, and because you're accepted by God, then therefore you obey? This word uh, justified, justification, we're going to see it here in just a second. This is, this is what God does to make us righteous. This is, this is what God does. God declares us justified, or in other words, to be, uh, to be made right and holy based on Christ's righteousness. His rightness before God, not yours, not mine. Not our own, which results in our salvation. And so we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from all of our works. You are justified before you ever lift a finger for God. The 
So in other words, we cannot own or earn our own justification. But the Pharisee is sure trying to make a point to do so, isn't he? Let's, let's finish this out. Verse 13. Starkly different prayer from the tax collector. Listen to what the tax collector prays. But the tax collector, standing far off, Jesus says, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. All his prayer is, is just saying, God, I plead the blood of Christ. Jesus, I am a sinner. He's not saying, look at everything that I do for you. I only took 5% from the family down the road because they were hurting this week. He just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector, unlike the Pharisee, is depending on God's mercy to receive as a gift God's righteousness and was therefore justified. So what's the problem really with the Pharisee? Why, why is he not right standing before God? Listen to verse 14. It says, I tell you, this is what Jesus says about the two. He says, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So why is he the Pharisee? Why is he not the one who's right standing before God? I mean, look at, look at the long list of the things that the Pharisee has done for God. He knows the Bible. Like he would beat the socks off of any of us in Bible drill. You know what I'm saying? Genesis 3-2, got it. Oh, you got to look. I'm, I'm done. There. Like he's got that down. He, how, many, how many times do I fast? A year. He's going twice a week. Am I giving 10% on, on everything that I get in? He's giving 10% on everything that he gets in. Look at, his, look at his resume before God. We would think, man, that guy is holy. God loves that guy. But Jesus says, it's the tax collector. Because the Pharisee was about everything that he had done and nothing about what God had done. He thought that his acts of spiritual growth, his acts of, of, of the way that he was spiritually mature is what made him right before God versus the tax collector that just claimed the blood of Jesus. Claimed that God was the one who could make him justified. So, so picture this. Let's unpack this for you just real quick so you can get a mental picture of this. The Pharisee and the tax collector both die and go to heaven. Now, this really does sound like the start of a bad joke, right? It was a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they both died and stood before God. Now, I don't think this is the way that this whole thing is going to play out, but let's just picture this for a second in our minds, right? The Pharisee and the tax collector are standing before God, and God looks at them. Again, I don't, this is not how this is going to go down. But God looks at them and says, okay, now tell me why I should let you into heaven. Right, we've heard these Johnny jokes, right? You know, Johnny's standing before, right? And so here's the Pharisee and the tax collector. Why should I let you into heaven? And the Pharisee says, look at my resume, God. Look at how good it is. Look at everything that I've done for you. Look at all, look at, look, look at that. That's good, right? 10% on everything. And God says, tax collector. And the tax collector says, I 
I don't deserve to be let in. So my only chance is the blood of Jesus. My only chance to be found justified and righteous before you is what Christ has done on the cross for me. Romans chapter 3, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I think that he states this picture beautifully. Now, I'm, we read from the English Standard Version typically here, and, but the Message Version, which is just a paraphrase of the Bible, so it's kind of like it takes the Bible and sort of puts it into um, a, a paraphrase, meaning it's kind of like this, sort of like Jesus does with the parable. Um, so, I want to read you Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 28 from the message. Because I think it paints a very beautiful mental picture of what this, all of this, this, this parable that Jesus is telling, what it, what it means for you and I. Paul writes this, he says, But in our time, something has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all of those years has, has happened. The God setting things right that we read about, the righteousness, Jesus setting things is, has become Jesus setting things right for us. Did you get that? Jesus setting things right for us. Not you setting things right, not me setting things right, but Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we're, we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, and you have, I have, we all have, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. He made us righteous. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. Not by how much you tithe. Not by how many times you show up to church. Not by all the ministries you serve in. Not by how many compassion kids you sponsor. Not because you only watch R-rated movies about the crucifixion of Jesus. Like Not because of any of those things. Only by the blood that Jesus himself gave freely for us on the cross. He goes on, he says, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it is now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. And he closes out like this. So where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims and counterclaims? Doesn't that sound like the Pharisee? Canceled? Yes. Canceled. 
what we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting Him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. We don't do the external to impress God or anyone else. We do the external because we are impressed with what God has done for us already. And more than impressed, we are enamored by it. We are in debt to it. And that should be liberating for us, shouldn't it? And so here's here's the good news. If that wasn't enough. Some of us came here today unrighteous not yet justified. The good news is that we can leave made righteous and justified through putting our faith into Him who declares us righteous. The prophet Isaiah says that all of our good works are like filthy, dirty rags. They are useless before God when it comes to claiming your salvation. Our salvation is only claimed when we put our faith into Jesus Christ alone. Not into our works, not into how good we can be. So Paul says it like this, another lengthy set of scripture, and I'll close, but this is the way that he puts this. He says, therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known is, or but what we are is known to God, and I hope that it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about our outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Paul says, listen, if we're crazy, that's awesome, but it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. You're may say compels us but the love of Christ controls us it means it moves us it pushes us it directs us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for who but for him who for their sake died and was raised from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God. All of this is from God. Who was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them or counting their sin against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Do you get that? That's God appealing your salvation. That's Jesus making his appeal. When he gave, God gave Jesus to us, he makes the appeal for us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So this morning, if 
you have struggled with what is it that you earn your salvation from what is it that that you are found righteous with what is it that that justifies you before god the message is pretty clear i think it's not you who does it it's christ who has done it on the cross and it's only by putting our faith into him that we are made righteousness and so we confess our sins to him we ask for his salvation and it is given to us Rusty said last week when he talked about the parable of the sower, he said that this idea that, that we're supposed to balance our life out is junk when you're a believer. There's not balance. We don't balance our lives when we're believers. We give it to Christ. And it's completely unbalanced. The old hymn that many of us grew up singing we know how it goes. It says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. All. That means all of your goodness, all of the morality that you think that you've puffed up in here with, that we give it to him. So as we pray and we sing, and we celebrate the greatness and the goodness of God as we leave here this morning, then my prayer is for you is simply that if you have relied on your good works and your morality and everything that you think that you can do for God, if that's what you've been relying on for your salvation, then my prayer for you is that you would allow that to be given over to the cross and that you would just simply confess your sin of self-righteousness and ask for the blood of Jesus to cover you for his salvation. Or maybe you have gotten out of balance as a believer and you think that God looks more favorably on you because of all the good things that you do for him. Does he love those things? Yes, he loves those things. He loves those things when we do those things out of compelling passion for what he has already done on the cross not to puff up ourselves. And so if you're a believer here this morning, your prayer may simply need to be to confess your sin of self-righteousness before Christ. And that we simply lay ourselves down at the foot of the cross. And that's it. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your word and how it cuts through our hearts, God, and how it cuts through all of our self-righteousness. God, how it cuts through um, our puffed up minds and hearts and long laundry list and resume that we think is going to, to hold up before you, God. Father, forgive me of my self-righteousness. God, forgive me of claiming to be better than others because I preach, because I pastor a church. God, let us have the courage today to walk away from our own goodness and sit and rest in your goodness. God, I pray for those who need the courage, God, who came in here 
not yet justified, God, but to have the courage to simply confess their sins and say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, we know that your word is true, that if we call out to you, God, that you will save us. So give us the courage to speak up. Give us the courage to step and lay down at the cross. To let your goodness cover us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.